0: Thank you for tuning in to the Remodeled Church Podcast. We hope this message inspires you and encourages your daily life. Luke chapter 10, we're going to read verses 25 through 37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. Now highlight verse 29 here. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Highlight this. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do the same. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much this morning for your presence that we've already felt in this place. We ask you, God, that you would move inside of our hearts and inside of our lives. Speak to us this morning. Just bring a fresh word to us this morning. Encourage us and challenge us at the same time. God, help us to understand your word. Help us to receive your word. But God, more than anything, help us to live your word out. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says, amen. 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 So this is a story or a parable known as the Good Samaritan. I'm calling today's message, The Good Christian. So this is, this is what's happening. First of all, there's this lawyer. What he's trying to do is he's trying to ensnare. He's trying to entrap Jesus or trying to get away with the minimal. He's trying to catch Jesus either contradicting himself or lying or to say something that would go against their culture and their tradition. And so whenever he asked, what do I have to do to get into heaven? The guy already knew, knew that he had to love God and love people. And so, so then he asked the question, but who is my neighbor? What he's really asking there is not who is my neighbor, not who should I help, but he's really asking who can I exclude out of this? Who can I not, who can I call that's not my neighbor? Or who can I discriminate against? Who can I take out of this equation? Who can I not be nice to or who can I be evil to? You see, he was looking for a loophole. He was looking for a way for to be um, not completely obedient, but Jesus always seeks complete obedience. And what this man's doing is what so many people in today's age do, is we try to fit the Bible into our lives. In other words, we want the Bible to say what we want it to say. And we want the Bible to be... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Just easy. Right? We don't want it to change us. We don't want it to challenge us. We just want it to fit in right along with all of the things that I like to do. You guys with me? We don't adjust the Bible to fit our lives. We adjust our lives to fit the Bible. And this young lawyer, what he's trying to do is he's trying to fit the Bible into his life. He's hoping that Jesus responds with, well, your neighbor is those that you like and those that you love. Your neighbor is your family. So Jesus goes on and shares this parable. And I'm just going to say, you know, Samaritans, the reason he used Samaritans was because the Jewish people hated Samaritans. They had actually been fighting in wars for hundreds of years. So when Jesus says the parable of the good Samaritan, it's almost like coming into Arkansas and saying a parable of the good LSU fan. If you're a hardcore Razorback fan, there's just no such thing, right? And vice versa, if you're a hardcore LSU fan, don't boo me. So that's, what Je- that's why Jesus uses the parable of the good Samaritan. Because in the eyes of the Jewish, the Samaritan was always the bad guy. Never the good guy. And when Jesus begins to share this parable of this man that was walking on this journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho and gets mugged, what they're thinking is he got mugged by Samaritans. And when this priest goes by, the priest is supposed to preacher, the pastor. He's the one that's supposed to help, but he doesn't help. He goes to the wayside. And then a Levite, a Levite in those times were, they were in charge of all of the religious affairs. Most of the times they were, they could be priests or they could be worship pastors. They could be teachers. And so the Levite goes by, this worship pastor, this teacher from Sunday school teacher goes by and he doesn't help. Hence, the good Samaritan that helped. So again, we're not trying whenever we read the Bible, whenever we look at the Bible and when we look at God's word, we don't see we don't get to take parts out of it that we don't like. Right. There's a lot of stuff in here, if I'm very honest, that I really, really wish was not in there. Turn the other cheek, that whole thing. I could really do without that part in the Bible, to be honest with you. The whole extend mercy and the whole forgive time and time and time again. When when they asked, when the disciples asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Up to seven times? Jesus says, 70 times, seven times. In other words, it's limitless. Just keep on forgiving. Don't keep track. Just keep on forgiving. Forgiving. I could do away. I mean I, I could I could it'd be so much easier. You know, if the Bible was just a bunch of God wants to bless you over and over and over, I want to be honest with you, it makes Sunday mornings for me a lot easier. It make preaching up here a lot easier. Because I've noticed every every now and then, whenever I gotta be a little bit more difficult, sometimes I don't I don't get the smiles that I like to get. And I've been wondering if maybe that's why I don't get the amens, and Cynthia has to put in the announcements. <laughs> but we don't manipulate the Bible to fit our lives. We adjust our lives to fit what the Bible tells us. So whenever Jesus starts talking about this path or this road from Jericho down to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was about a 17 mile stretch on the side of this cliff. And it was very well known that you don't travel that way alone because there were caves. And in these caves, thieves and robbers would hide and they would come out. If you were alone, especially, they would come out, they beat you, they take your stuff. So you just didn't go this way alone. So whenever Jesus begins to share this story, I can imagine the very first thoughts was, well, what an idiot. What was this dude doing traveling alone? Everybody knows you don't take that route. Everybody knows you go the other way. Everybody knows at the very least, you don't go by yourself. You take a group of men with you. That way you guys can fight off any thieves. And I've realized that sometimes, oftentimes, it's so much easier to criticize than it is to help. Oftentimes, whenever we see someone that is brokenhearted, someone that is maybe lonely or somebody that's been hurt, somebody that's just broken in their nature and their spirit, it's so much easier for us to criticize and to judge. You ever notice when you go to a basketball game, the best coaches are always sitting up in the stands. You ever notice that? And the best refs, that's right. All the best refs and all of the best coaches are are up in the stands. Everybody sees the walk from up in the stands, huh? Oh, what are you, blind blue? Come on. Everybody knows that it was actually a charge, not a block. It's so much easier whenever you're sitting up in the nosebleed section to sit back and just criticize and judge everything. It's so much easier to sit back and look at other people's situation and said, well, you should have done this and you should have done this and you shouldn't have done that. And it's your own fault that you're in your messy situation. It's so much easier to sit back and criticize from a distance than what it is to get in, roll up your sleeves, get your hands a little bit dirty and actually just help. So I can imagine as Jesus begins to share this story of this man who took this road on his way and he gets jumped by these thieves and robbers, I can imagine their minds immediately going to, what an idiot. He should have known. He shouldn't have been going that way on his own. It's his own fault. No wonder why everybody just went around him because it was his own fault. It's so much easier to criticize from a distance than it is to roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty, and just jump in and help. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says, don't allow your heart to be hardened. Psalms chapter 95, it's in your notes, 95 verse 8, just read it at home. Don't allow your heart to be hardened. Proverbs uh, chapter 4 verse 23 says, above all things, guard your heart. Because from it flow the issues of life. Listen, whenever we sit back too many times and we just criticize the situation. And we judge the situation. And we look at the broken people and and we look at the the brokenness and the poverty and, and whatever the messy situation is. Whenever we just sit back and we judge it. And we do that time and time and time again. What happens is we begin to harden our hearts. And Jesus hasn't called us to have a hard heart. He hasn't called us to sit back and judge the situation. But he's called us to just roll up our sleeves, get our hands dirty and help. Just jump into the situation. So next time you catch yourself sitting back and criticizing and judging, understand that every time you do that, you're adding just a little bit more callous to your heart. And that's not the people Jesus wants us to be. That's not who God has created you to be. Let's not sit back and criticize Let's not sit back and judge. Let's just roll up our sleeves. Let's jump in. Let's get dirty. Let's help. Verse thirty-one. The priest. Said, um, now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, this is the one thing. This is something that we need to know about priests. Priest, excuse me, in the Levitical law and the book of Leviticus, if a priest touched a corpse they were considered unclean for 7 days which meant which basically meant they couldn't go into the temple they couldn't lead in in worship they couldn't lead their church they couldn't teach they couldn't do any of those things so i can imagine him walking by seeing this man that had been beaten and thinking well if he's dead i can't risk risk a chance of possibly losing my reputation or my profile, possibly losing um, my, um, my status or even my job. And so what he does is he goes around him. And he's more considerate and he's more worried or more concerned about his reputation and who he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to do than just, again, rolling up his sleeves and helping someone. I want us to go keep something there in Luke chapter 10 because we're going to be be coming back. But I want you guys to go to Luke chapter 5. We're going to read verses 27 through 32. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me, so he left, so he left all, rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors, and others who sat down with them, and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Highlight this, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Highlight this verse. Those who are well have no need of a physician or a doctor, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners were and sinners are attracted to Jesus. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 4 says this. Says that where there are many oxen. The barn is dirty. Or where there are no oxen. The barn the stables are clean. There is no ministry without a mess. No mess. No ministry. Is basically what that proverb is saying. And we have to ask ourselves. If sinners aren't attracted to us, are we very much like Jesus? Now listen, once we begin to walk with Jesus and once we begin to follow Jesus, our habits should change, will change if we're following Jesus. And sometimes that means cutting out some relationships in our lives. But we have to understand that light can only shine where? In darkness. Light can only shine in darkness. So if you don't have anybody in your life that you hang out with that is not a follower of Jesus, then you're not very much like Jesus. You guys with me? So Jesus didn't call us to be the church and to just be like in a bunch of little holy huddles. And just talk uh, Christianese to each other. I know what I'm talking about, Christian knees. We have to be attracting others to us. Now, listen, it's a completely other thing if at work you blend in with everybody. Jesus isn't calling us to do that either. He's calling us to be light in darkness, not to just go ahead and be dark in darkness. we have to ask ourselves a question. We honestly have to ask ourselves a question. Are people attracted to me? People outside of the church, people that don't follow Jesus, are they attracted to me? Because the goal is, the ultimate goal is to lead others to Jesus. And we can't lead others to Jesus if there's no others around us. The goal is hopefully to love Jesus so well and love people so well that that intrigues someone. And they ask us a question every now and then. Or they just say, I want to be like you. So the scribes and the Pharisees, they criticize Jesus and his disciples. Why are you eating and drinking with, with sinners? Why are you hanging out with them? Don't you know they're supposed to be the outcasts? Jesus replies with, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous, but I came for those that can find salvation. And so, unlike this priest, let's just throw our reputation away. Let's stop worrying about what others might say if we're talking to that individual. Let's stop worrying what other people would say If we have friends that don't look like us If we have friends that don't talk like us If we have friends that don't understand Christianese So let's throw our reputation away Let's throw our profile away And not worry about that and let's attract people that don't know Jesus. Let's attract all of them to us. As many of them as we possibly can so that we can lead them all to Jesus. So that we can actually be the light shining in the darkness. Verse 32 of chapter 10. Likewise, a Levite or a worship pastor or a Sunday school teacher. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by. On the other side. Now again, Levites, they were in charge of all of the religious duties in in those times for the entire nation. So this man, this Levite, was somebody that actually wanted to see a change in culture. Wanted to see a change in his community. But maybe what his concern was, is what many thieves did in those days, is they would pretend or they would play the victim. And then once you melt down to try to help them, they would get up and trap you and beat you up and take your money and take your lunch money and take off. And so maybe what he was concerned about wasn't maybe so much his reputation, but maybe he was concerned about his own comfort. He was concerned about his own safety, wondering, well, what if it's a trap? What if I help this person and he ends up hurting me instead of allowing me to help him? want us to go to Luke, or, or in the first part of chapter 10, sorry, the ver- first three verses. Jesus is getting ready to send 70 other people. Outside of the 12 disciples, he had, he had been training and he'd be speaking to and teaching 70 other people. And he's about to send them out to all of the places that he's going to go so that they can basically prepare a way for him. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go then he said to him said to them excuse me the harvest truly is great but the laborers are few therefore pray the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest chapter or verse 3 highlight this go your way behold i send you out as lambs among wolves talk about a great motivational speech i'm sending you out as lambs among wolves what jesus understood is no one ever changed the world by staying comfortable no one ever changed the world by staying comfortable and if we're honest, some of us probably relate to this young man, the Levite, the Bible calls him, who who maybe, um, again, he, he was more concerned about his safety or his comfort. Because some of us have stopped forgiving somebody because we feel like they're just going to do it again. Some of us have stopped extending grace to others because we've been hurt by someone else before. See, these are those parts where I'm like, I don't get the smiles anymore that I was talking about earlier. Everybody's just like, I'm writing notes right now. I don't even want to look at them. So sometimes we stop extending forgiveness. We stop extending grace. We stop being generous. We stop being just simply kind to other people because we're afraid that if we do it again, we're going to get hurt. We're afraid that they may not respond with the same kindness that we're extending. They they may not respond with the same love that we're giving. The same grace and mercy and compassion. So what we do is we would rather just go by and say, I wish I could help, but I've been hurt way too many times. So I'm just going to sidestep this one. And maybe later on. But Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. What he's saying is danger is normal. Danger is normal. Listen, if you love, I can promise you, you're going to get hurt. If you extend forgiveness without hesitation and you just forgive and forgive and forgive, I can promise you, you're going to have to forgive again. If you continue to extend grace, I can promise you that there's going to come a time where you're just going to wish you didn't have to extend grace anymore. But Jesus is calling us to be lambs among wolves. Danger is normal. Pain, hurt, people abusing, people manipulating, all of those things, man, that is normal. That's going to happen. But you know what? I've just I've gotten to the point. To where I would rather be accused of extending too much grace than not enough grace. I've gotten to the point to where I would rather be too generous than too stingy. Whenever I get into heaven and whenever I'm staring at God face to face. I would rather him say EJ buddy." You extended so much grace and you were hurt so many times. Come here. Let me hug you. Let me heal you. Then to look at him and him ask me, why didn't you give grace? Why did you withhold forgiveness? Why did you withhold compassion and mercy? And we're all going to be there one day. We're all going to be judged by God himself for how much or how little we gave or did or extended. And if I'm going to fail, if I'm going to mess up, and if I'm going to be judged, I would rather be judged by you for giving too much grace than by God for not giving enough grace. You guys with me? Right there, y'all forgot y'all say "Man, I'm just going to say that. Amen. Now, here comes the LSU fan here in verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. To be the bad guy. I can imagine these men as Jesus is telling the story. I can imagine as soon as they said Samaritan. I imagine their minds going to the worst things possible. Thinking and he ended up kicking them in the face afterward. After he was already down. I can imagine them just going to their their, their worst thoughts. And then when Jesus says that he's the one that helped. Nothing was expected from the Samaritan man. But he's the one that gave the most. I want to be that person. I want to be that person that when, when forgiveness couldn't even be expected of me anymore, I still gave forgiveness. When grace could not even be expected, when nobody could ever even understand why we would extend more grace, we still extended more grace. What if we were those people? What if when nothing else could be expected of us because we had already given so much, we had already forgiven so much, we had already extended so much grace and compassion, we had already been so kind, there's no way they could expect any more. Yet, we still gave more. What would that do to your family? What would that do to your community? If you lived that kind of life, how could that change your life and how could it change your family's life? If you just simply gave even when it wasn't expected anymore. If we just continually extended and gave. This last part of verse 35, he says, take care of him. He's speaking to the innkeeper, the hotel owner. He says, take care of him. And whatever more, whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. You know what this shows me? This shows me that this hotel owner, this innkeeper, trusted this Samaritan man. He knew that he would repay him. This man had credit inside of his community. And because he had credit inside of his community, that gave him influence in his community. You see, if we want to change our community, if we want to change our family, then we've got to gain some credit with our family. We've got to gain some credit within our community. If we really want to see things change, then we have got to live in a way that our lives resemble Jesus. The Samaritan man, the man that should have been the bad guy in the story, He is the one whose life resembled Jesus the most. And because his life resembled Jesus, he was able to have influence because they gave him credit. They knew that whatever he said he was going to do, they were going to do. They were going, he, he was going to back up his word. So there's three things that I want you guys to do with with these notes. Write these down at the bottom or to the side. I ran out of room. I didn't have enough space to put them. I didn't want to go down to font 10 because it was just hard to read. So three things that I want you guys to write down in your notes that we learn out of this story. Number one is help everyone that you can. Help everyone that you can. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Help everyone that you can. If it is within your reasonable power to help someone, help them. Help everyone that you can. Number two is embrace everyone. Embrace everyone. Stop looking for reasons to exclude people and let's start looking for reasons to include people. Yeah? And stop excluding people because they're from somewhere else or because they have a different last name or they look differently and they act differently and they speak differently than what we do. Let's stop looking for reasons to exclude. Let's start looking for reasons to include. Let's embrace everyone. And the third thing is love requires action. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love requires action. We have to move. It requires us to move. It requires us to do. It's not just a word that we throw out there. But it's action. It's giving. For God so loved the world that He gave. Love requires action. And I want to challenge you, church, to love your families better than you ever have before. I want to encourage you, church, to love your community, love your neighbor better than you ever have before. This is the end of the message. For more information, go to www.therremodelchurch.com.